Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Driving Innovation, How to Foster a Culture of Innovation Within Your Team. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 329. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really looking forward to today's conversation. It's about a topic that I think everyone is talking about, but not a lot of us know as much as we should. So I'm speaking with the CEO and principal consultant at DOS42, bringing world-class analytics and big data technologies to organizations of all sizes and stages in their life cycle. He has extensive experience in data analytics and business intelligence. He's worked at organizations everywhere from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics to Etsy. So uh, kind of a wide variety there. And he is based in Westchester, New York. Welcome to the show, Nick Amabile. Hey, Elizabeth. Thanks uh, for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad that you could join me, Nick. Um, I just shared kind of really high level bio, but I would love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and maybe talk about kind of where you developed the, the interest and the passion in what it is that you're doing. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I've worked, uh, as you kind of mentioned, from the government to tech companies to other consulting firms. And, you know, one of the pervasive things that I've seen in my career as a practitioner in data analytics is just the sort of dearth of kind of experienced folks in both technology as well as business. A lot of times what we see or what I've seen in my career are, you know, folks either focus more on the business side or the technical side. And there creates this gap in the middle between business and technology. That was certainly true. Um, you know, in a number of different startups that I've worked at and tech companies. And so essentially what I tried to do was really teach myself about both sides of the coin, understanding, you know, things like marketing and companies, sales, um, you know, for e-commerce companies, for example, which I worked at Etsy, as you mentioned, and then, you know, also teach myself about the programming aspect around how does data actually get captured? What are the technologies used to transform it and all that kind of good stuff? And so, um, most recently, I was the head of business intelligence at Jet.com, and as I was kind of thinking about leaving um, Jet.com, I took a number of interviews around the New York City area and realized that a lot of folks were having similar problems setting up their business intelligence and data platforms in a modern way that was self-service, that was governed and trusted. So you know, I figured, hey, you know, might as well kind of hang my own shingle out and try to solve some of the problems that I had been faced and, and, and sort of, you know, uh, trying to solve for a long time, try to do that for, for other companies out there. And so that's what kind of gave birth to, to DOS42. That makes so much sense. And I love that idea of really tying the, the business aspect to the data aspect, because I, I have seen the same thing in organizations where you've got this great data analytics team and they know everything about like technology and numbers, but they don't necessarily have the business mindset to know what's important yeah. and to prioritize. And then you have the business side who are just like, uh, numbers. And it can be really confusing when you look at some of these, you know, different platforms and, and tools to use um, that that translation between the two, that prioritization, that that deep understanding, um, it, it can be really challenging. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, at, at DOS42, I mean, you know, we're obviously a consulting firm and we help companies with their, um, you know, data programs and platforms. But, you know, really it's about being business consultants. That's, that's what we are. We're not IT uh, services. And so, you know, we believe now that every company is a data and technology company. I mean, it sounds a little played at this point, but I, I, I believe it to be true. And so, you know, we solve business problems. Uh, we just happen to do it with data and technology, uh, specifically cloud technology. Um, and so 
know, I think that's that's what I've seen uh, both at DOS42 in my career uh, as a practitioner in analytics is that a lot of these projects end up failing because, um, you know, folks are looking at the latest technology out there. You know, I mean, Snowflake is really popular right now, but you also see Databricks and other really big companies, you know, and the funding announcements and all the things that are happening with those companies. They're like, oh, man, we need to implement this or that service uh-huh. or, you know, this platform. And and that's where they start from rather than starting from the, the, the place of, okay, you know, how are we actually, you know, making money and reducing costs and what are, what are our initiatives strategically as a business? Um, and so that's really where we start uh, to focus with our clients at DOS42 is, hey, let's let's forget about technology for a second. Let's talk about what you're trying to do from a business perspective. And then from there, we can work backwards and we'll bridge it back to the technology, of course, eventually. But, you know, technology is a means to an end. And we realize when we're on projects uh, at DOS42 that, you know, if we put all the data in Snowflake for a company, like, that's cool, but kind of who cares, right? We got to put mm-hmm. it into an analysis, an insight, a chart, a graph, you know, something to actually deliver it to business value. And we and we have to get it to all the folks within a company, not just the technical people, right? So it's also the customer service reps, sales reps, et cetera. So that's kind of our, our, our general strategy. And I think that that works, again, you know, all sizes of companies, all different te- types of technology as well. Definitely. I can see that being um, probably the primary reason that a lot of projects fail. It's just that yeah. like you fall in love with the technology, you hear about something, you go to a conference, whatever it is, and you're like, oh, yeah, everybody's, totally. everybody's using Snowflake, we got to use Snowflake. What are other? What are some of the other reasons that you see that businesses really struggle with getting data projects up and running or with leveraging data effectively? Yeah. So, so even once you've kind of decided on the technology and you really understand the business use cases, you know, it's really about taking a holistic approach. Um, you know, people, especially within companies, they're they're apprehensive to change. And so if you're implementing a new tool or process, um, you really have to do it thoughtfully um, and you have to do it kind of with the carrot and not the stick, as I like uh-huh. to say. Um, you know, it's one of the things where it's like, you know, if it takes six hours to prepare a spreadsheet for like a QBR or whatever it is, a quarterly business review, um, what you want to do is automate that and say, hey, look, now we can sort of save you the six hours, you know, once a month or whatever it is or once a quarter. And we're going to help you do your job better, right? So using that carrot approach, not the stick, not saying we're going to shut this down because the old tool sucks or whatever it is, right? A lot of people are comfortable with that. Um, and so it's about meeting people where they're at, helping to helping them to get excited. You know, the other thing I'll say, too, is just, you know, delivering one or, or two use cases really, really well out of the park initially with your data program is going to build momentum and excitement. Uh, as opposed to the boil the ocean approach, people are saying, okay, we got to get first, we got to get all of our data into Snowflake or a data warehouse, and then we got to get all of our data into a business intelligence tool. That's kind of the wrong approach. What you want to do is get something, you know, for like the sales team out really quickly and really nail that one use case out of the park. Uh, and then people are going to start to say, oh, how do I get that for my team? How, how do I get this for my use case as well? So start with a very well-defined use case and just really nail that out of the park across all the different aspects of that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, my first job after college, I actually worked on campus um, at the school that I graduated from, and mm-hmm. I was working in database services. And we were in the process of um, changing from one kind of platform that yeah. the entire school was using from admissions to um, you know donations and all of that. And we were switching to a different one. And so I was in the meetings where we were picking you know, I wasn't a decision maker. I was a kid, but um, and then I had to help with the rollout and with the training of users and people's comfort with what they have. Even if literally the technology that they had was older than me, and it was like white text on black screens. And I'm not 
that old. <laughs> right. But it was like the, it, it didn't work well, you know, but yet yeah. this is how they've been doing their job for five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. They don't want, uh, nobody wants change really in, in their yeah. day-to-day work, even if the change is going to be better long-term. So that idea of um, doing one thing and doing it well and people seeing the benefit from it and maybe getting a little bit jealous <laughs> that yeah, gives exactly. you that opportunity to then kind of roll it out gradually and have the have the team actually want it as opposed to you're trying to kind of shove it down their throats well and you mentioned a really good point uh, in there which is kind of the, all the training and enablement that you have to do and this is kind of what we do on our projects at dos 42 it's not just about training and enablement but really kind of enabling a, a data-driven culture that embraces self-service uh, kind of a self-service mentality where you have, for example, customer service or sales reps or marketing folks asking asking and answering their own questions without kind of the need to go to a centralized IT or analytics team. You know, that's that's a very powerful idea, but you really needed to support it with like data governance and training and enablement. And uh, these things are often overlooked on these data projects. Um, and so, you know, again, taking that technology first approach is is kind of the wrong way to do it. But, you know, when you take a holistic approach, making sure that, for example, the names uh, that people use to refer to different um, KPIs or metrics or dimensions, you know, you might call it a channel, you know, someone else might call it, uh, I don't know, whatever else you might call it, a, a marketing channel, but you get the idea. And so just making sure that the nomenclature, the names, the documentation, um, the discoverability, so folks know where to go to get the right answers, all this kind of stuff is often overlooked. And, and you know, again, that's why we take a holistic approach to our projects at DOS42. Absolutely. The, the simplest thing, you know, um, the I think the most common one that I can think of off the top of my head, the word target versus the word quota versus the word uh, goal. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Those all three in some organizations mean the same thing. Some yeah. organizations have two of them and they mean completely different things. And if I'm talking about one thing and calling it one thing and you're you're talking about something else, wildly different. Um, and so it's it's amazing how just developing a common language, having you know a glossary of terms yeah, if necessary can be incredibly useful because um, I will say my my role, aside from kind of helping with that implementation, I was leading database integrity. So I am like the biggest nerd for like data quality. <laughs> um, and what happens if you have bad data in the system, especially when you have that kind of self-service model where people are able to access it and run their own reports, if mm-hmm. they see bad data once, they're like, there's a little you know, niggling like thing in the back of their mind, like maybe the data is not great, but you know, oh, yeah. it could, could just be one error. They see bad data twice, all data is suspect and they're not going to trust anything that they see in the system. So making oh, yeah. sure, like you said, that you've got the back end set up, that you're guaranteeing like the, the quality of the data, that, that things are accurate, that, um, you know, people know exactly what it is that they're looking at. They're not getting confused. That's really important. Otherwise, you're going to kind of um, undercut all the great work you might have done at setting up a great system. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say is like, I've definitely had that happen, you know, when I've been internally working on, you know, business intelligence projects, for example, you know, you roll out some new tool, and someone logs in for the first time, and you're so excited that you spent all this time putting all this together. You know, and then they look at it and they're like, that data is wrong. This thing's broken. I'm never using it again. Right? So, I mean, you know, it's like it's, it's a, a classic saying, but, you know, you really only have one chance to make a first impression and, you know, making sure that it's a really, uh, you, you know, you nail that first impression out of the park and get everyone super excited about it. That's that's really critical. Um, and, you know, the other thing I'll say, too, is like when you start having um, 
you know, that self-service model, you have to make sure not only that people are on the same page, but like that the data is matching across different reports that people are creating. Um, and that's another thing where, you, you know, you kind of mentioned data quality, but it's, you know, again, that's a part of data governance where we start to think about how do we make sure that there's one definition for, like you said, quota or target or forecast, whatever it is, making sure that there's one definition for it across all the different reports that people might be able to create. Um, so that way, again, there's trust in the data and that, you know, we're not arguing that, you know, my number's right, your number's wrong and all that kind of stuff. We're actually talking about now what to do with this data, what to do about the the, the insights that we're getting from data versus whose who's number's right. So... Definitely. And one thing that I've, I've seen often happens, especially when there hasn't been a lot of insight into real data, and this is going to be the first time um, that maybe leaders have a chance to see it, there's some that is just going to seem wrong, but it's not wrong. Yeah. And, you know, I had, a, I had a client that had two salespeople um, that I'm talking about here. They had more than the two, but the, the two salespeople. One mm -hmm. of them they thought was their top salesperson. Um, and, and it's so silly because sales is a really measurable thing. But anyway, he was viewed as like the most productive, the most effective, outgoing guy, did produce really good results. There was another person on the team who was just a little bit quieter, less outgoing, didn't necessarily interact with leadership at the same way, um, wasn't as visible. And that person was outperforming the, the, the first. But the perception was we've got this one top salesperson and the other person is just fine. And it was just completely off base. And so often um, we have leaders who've been making decisions for a long time based on kind of the eye test and based on, um, you know, <laughs> gut instincts. And that example is really basic because again, most organizations can at least tell sales performance numbers, um, what's, what's higher, what's lower, but so much um, can be can be just wrong based on our own assumptions. So making sure that you're able to be confident in the data governance and confident that, you know what, this seems wrong, but it is right. We're 100% confident. That's really important because if you've got one error somewhere else, if you're going to try to take a stand on something that's controversial or unexpected, it'll be easier for people to undercut that because there was an error somewhere else. Yeah. And I think part of that is kind of what you're hinting at here. Not, so not only the, do you have data quality as one aspect of data governance, that's super important. Another aspect um, is the transparency, right? So you, you want to make sure that, you know, when we're talking about, like you said, sales performance, right? That, that, you know, you have an intuitive sense of what that means. I have an intuitive sense of what that means, but like, what do we actually talking about when we're putting it on a report, like exactly how are we defining it, right? So that's, that's super critical so that everyone knows, you know, that, hey, we're talking in the same language here. We're sort of removing a lot of the ambiguity and just the pure intuition and gut instinct here. We're actually going to say, this is exactly what this definition of, of this metric means. And this is exactly how we're measuring it, capturing it, et cetera. Um, giving that transparency, not just to the leaders, but everyone throughout the company. So that, you know, if I'm a salesperson, for example, I know how, you know, when I load my dashboard for uh, kind of my quarterly performance or, you know, for my commission, um, you know, I have, I have the transparency and the trust that, you know, that number is being calculated correctly and we're all on the same page. So, you know, super critical things that I think are often overlooked, again, where people are just like, hey, shiny new object on the tech side and let's go implement that and Bob's your uncle. Definitely. Um, we've kind of drifted into this, which is which is where I want to maybe focus a lot of the rest of our conversation, which is um, specifically in the area of sales and business development. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are other parts of the organization that maybe have been leveraging more data 
for a longer period of time. Um, you think of like marketing. They've, they've had a yeah. lot of detailed analytics for a long time. If you look at um, whether you're producing a product and you've got all kinds of insights into, you know, the speed of the production line and error rates and all that other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. If it's a tech company, you've got you've got a lot of insights into users and all of that. Sales has has always had some data, but... Uh, in my experience, it has been a little bit more limited. Um, it's it's the the really obvious stuff, you know. I I did this many phone calls. I um, met yeah. with this many customers. Um, right. This is the actual dollar amount in sales that were brought in, and the the wealth of potential data kind of behind that um, hasn't really been tapped into until recently. So, do you have any kind of best practices that you've seen in the sales side for really? Um, leveraging data effectively? Maybe either it's the kinds of data that they should look for or the processes or, or just any uh, approaches that sales leaders might consider. Yeah, here, here's one thing that I found particularly impactful. Um, and this is, uh, you know, I'll kind of tell it through a story that, that we had with a client. Um, this was a B2B customer. Uh, you know, they're selling kind of complex um, software and hardware solutions to, you know, commercial buyers. Uh, they sell a lot of it through through a sales channel of partners. Um, so pretty complex sales process, pretty complex product. But you know, long story short, they would sell uh, this product, and you know, be actually many years between kind of when they sell it and when they get it implemented. And you know, obviously over that time, a lot of things change, and sort of the the customer environment changes. And so sometimes when the account managers and the account executives would call on this customer a few years later. You know, hey, your contract's up. You know, let's get, let's get a renewal, or you know, hey, let's see what else you, you might need and what solutions we can offer you. Um, you know, customers would call on the, uh, or sorry, the sales reps would call on the customer, and they would have no idea, for example, that there were you know fifteen open support tickets that you know you call up the customer, being like, hey, do you want to renew? And they're like, no, I have all these terrible. tickets that have been open forever, right? <laughs> and so, I, you know, kind of the point there is like. You know, have like sales is only one piece of the customer journey, and so looking at it more holistically requires you know having your data centralized and having a view of the customer that's pretty holistic. So, for example, you know what we did with that customer was sort of obvious based on that story, but you know we took the support tickets, we took all the sort of marketing touch points that the customer had with with the with with our client, uh, and put that on a dashboard and basically created uh, you know kind of a customer health dashboard. So when anyone was calling on the customer. They would pull this up and they'd have everything they needed to know about the customer at their fingertips. Of course, like the basics, like just, you know, a, a contract value, uh, types of products that were in the customer. Uh, but then, like I said, all the different support tickets and, you know, who the, who the uh, channel partner was, just like some of the, the basics here. Uh, and so then, you know, sales reps weren't surprised anymore with what was going on. And, you know, if, if they see a whole bunch of tickets open with the customer, you know, they're going to go chase down their support team and be like, well, okay, let's, let's get these answers to the customer. We've got a big renewal coming up. So I think that's one just, just idea. The, the other idea, so what I'll, I'll say is, you know, salespeople often have, you know, something like Salesforce or some specific tool that they're using. And there's a couple of things that we like to do uh, when, we're in, we're in, when we're in with our customers. And the main thing is actually bringing the data to their workflows, you know, so that they don't necessarily have to go to another tool, um, you know, like a specific BI tool. We don't want them to have to log into like 10 different tools, you know, just to get a, (laughs) you know, to figure out what's going on with their, with their uh, accounts. You know, we want to take, for example, analytics and data, and we want to put it into Salesforce. So that way, you know, they're looking at the customer right there in Salesforce They're updating their sort of notes on the account and they're able to see everything at their fingertips. So I think that's another thing. And I think that does come back to the carrot versus stick approach. You know, we Mm -hmm. want to sort of say, okay, let's take a look at 
you know, your, your sales team's workflows and processes and things like that. And let's make sure that data and analytics is, is kind of in that workflow uh, where you're at versus taking you out of that workflow into something else for data and analytics. So that's huge. Um, I, as I talk to, to leaders and organizations, they're just running into complete platform overload. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. people have all these different logins and even just the logistics of remembering what totally. app does what and what is my login? Is this the email format username or is this something else? And, and, and then you just you run into you know, all kinds of support requests and it's logistically challenging for the organization to support that versus if you can get, you know, your, your data team needs access to all the different platforms, but then they're fed into places mm-hmm. that people are already going in forms that they can understand. That makes it uh, much easier and much more likely that they'll actually yeah. access the information. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, it's, it, you know, if you don't make it super easy um, and really impactful um, to, their, to, to what's already going on, then you're going to have an uphill battle. You know what I mean? And, and a lot of these projects live and die by the fact that you know, you're going to invest all this money in new data platforms and technology and potentially a services company like ours at DOS42. And then at the end of the day, you know, you're going to say, well, no one's using this stuff anymore. right? Uh-huh. And like, what do we pay for? And so, you know, really kind of identifying those workflows and then really inserting data analytics to those workflows is super important. And, and I and I think it's even more important with sales because, you know, salespeople have really, I think, kind of a, a, a workflow that is oftentimes outside of kind of the normal workflow of the rest of the business, like operations or finance or whatever. Um, so, you know, super important in sales, but important generally as well. Yeah, definitely. If they're if they're physically on the road or yeah, working from absolutely. home in a different mm-hmm. way than the rest of the organization. Um, something else that you touched on, or, or, or maybe, I don't know if you mentioned this, but this is so important. Um, just all the touch points that that customer might have gotten. You were talking about, yeah. you know, seeing that customer health dashboard. I've had clients where um, the sales reps go on site or they make a call to a customer. And the customer's like, oh, yeah, that email that I just got. And the sales reps didn't even know what yeah, email totally. it was. <laughs> and so they're like, yeah, about that promotion. What promotion? <laughs> and so yep. uh, just the simple thing of being able to access what are the marketing messages that this client might have gotten um, yep. and potentially give information back. You know, this this can turn into a really useful situation if you're saying, um, th- please don't send this client this kind of emails anymore. It confuses them or they don't like it. And mm-hmm. if if sales has insights into that information, they're really able to provide better feedback to the organization as opposed to it being seen as there's this one channel sending out all these emails to the clients and then there's salespeople calling on the clients and never those two shall meet. Um, oh, it's kind of silly. No, that's that's 100% correct. And I mean, if you think about it again, you, you know, you're out there in the field and you're running from customer to customer and, you know, you don't necessarily have the you know, ability to stay in touch with all the things that are going on with marketing, but having it all in one place is super important. And then again, like, you know, maybe you have it on a little iPad, you know, as part of the application that you use when you're, you know, coming in to call on a customer, you pull it up and the cus- and the sales rep shouldn't be surprised. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, right, like we're, we're talking about sales data, customer data, you know, financial data, email data, customer support data, you know, so if you think kind of start to peel back the onion on this kind of stuff, you realize that there's, I don't know, five plus data sources just in that one example, just in that one use case to support Mm -hmm. it. Um, And so again, that that comes back to the centralization of data, making sure um, you're taking data from all those different kind of silos, as we call them, and and, and all these different uh, software as a service type applications, typically, um, taking all that stuff and making sure that you can own and control it and then create that holistic picture uh, of your customer and, and, of course, your broader business. 
Definitely. Now you mentioned um, a couple of times the phrase self-service and mm -hmm. that is a whole philosophy. And I'm guessing that there are a lot of specific mechanics in there, but uh, I, I've worked with organizations where leadership or anybody else would say, I, I need a report. And then they'd send off the parameters of what they're looking for to a data team. And then in anywhere from an hour to a week or more, they'd, they'd get some sort of a report. And I'm guessing self-service is kind of the opposite of that. But can you talk a little <laughs> bit about kind of the ideal self-service yeah. um, model? Yeah, no, no, that's right. Yeah. So the, so the basic idea behind self-service is just the fact that, you know, folks who have the most you know, knowledge about their business domain, whether it's marketing, sales, customer service, whatever that domain is, those folks are able to ask and answer their own questions. Um, you know, again, like as, a, as an analyst or a, a data person, um, I know less about marketing and sales perhaps than the marketing and sales team. And so that's part of, you know, the mindset shift where it's like, you know, I, I, I as an analyst can't predict everything these folks are going to want to ask. Um, so and if you think about sort of, you know, the analysis and insight gathering process, it's very iterative. Um, so in other words, you know, you ask one question, uh, you get, you know, an answer back, uh, and that begets many more questions. And so you have mm -hmm. this kind of iterative approach where you're asking questions, getting answers and keep, you know, diving deep. Um, but the self-service process is super critical to get data in the hands of domain experts. Um, you know, there's definitely some aspects that are technology driven, but it's more of a, more of a, um, you know, idea like we talked about before around governance, data literacy, trust and transparency, um, and just the ability to insert data into workflows rather than getting folks into, you know, uh, what we want to call them as data workflows. Definitely. Like you're not going to have your salespeople logging into Snowflake and doing all kinds of crazy things in there, I'm guessing. But you are, it, it, it's even just knowing. Um, I've had clients who use Salesforce and users don't even know how to build a view, which is not even as complicated as a report. It's just literally kind of filtering data. And if you train your team to do that, you can see, oh, what's a view of all of my customers that I gained in October or November last year so I can send them a happy anniversary um, note? What is a list of all of, you know, whatever else it might be. If you have the ability to to think through that, decide what you want, and then just quickly put together the view or the report, you're more likely to use it. Otherwise, you might think of something, but then you're like, oh, that seems hard. I'm not going to be able to do it. And then you don't even bother reaching out to marketing or reaching out to data or whoever um, to get that information. So it, it's it's really a, it's a change in um, just potential for the, the things people will be able to do if they're really able to just act on their own ideas. So Kind of based on that self-service concept, I think one one thing that's coming to mind as a potential opportunity is helping salespeople in the moment figure out what their priorities should be. Um, for example, is there a customer that's that's recently visited the website or is currently on the website, knowing <laughs> that that's happening and and being the, given the opportunity to reach out? But then, you know, is there a product or a service that is getting more interest based on website traffic or based on something else? You know, um, is there a kind of um, solution that I should be focused on based on the the delivery team's capacity. Um, and the more you can provide that kind of up to the minute information in a way that salespeople can, can access it and understand it, it seems like that could provide significant opportunity to kind of optimize what it is that the sales team is focused on. Have you seen that as something that organizations are looking to, to improve? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, and it really, you know, depends first and foremost on having all that data centralized. So you mentioned a good, good example, which is, 
you know, somebody searching for something on the website uh, and then relaying that to, you know, your sales team. Uh, and, and, and again, you know, similar concepts to what we were talking about before, where you want to bring that insight and that action to wherever the salespeople are working. And so, you know, that could be an email, it could be Slack. Um, but really what we do is we create a lot of proactive alerts. Um, you know, you, you, again, B2B customers, we've worked with uh, software as a service B2B companies and, you know, we create like churn risk uh, calculations and we say, Hey, this customer hasn't used, you know, 10 of their 30 licenses, you know, they've only used, you know, whatever, thir a third of their licenses. Mm -hmm. uh, you should probably, you know, engage with maybe the training team to make sure that the customer knows that A, they have these licenses and B, they know how to use them. So, you know, things like that, you know, creating these dynamic alerts, creating these sort of business rules, and it's, and it's different for e each company, right? I mean, uh, d depending on your product, depending on your service, uh, depending on the rest of the company, you mentioned like the delivery capacity of, of your company. Um, these things are all happening in real time, and we need to have data across all these different areas of the business to be able to create those proactive alerts uh, and let the sales team focus on the high value things that, that they need to focus on. Definitely. And I think that really leads into what you were saying before about it being really iterative because yeah. you're going to come up with new things that you've, you know, maybe you've never even thought about um, churn risk because you never had a lot of insight into that. And it wasn't something that the sales team could ever focus on, but yet you had some other team who was looking at the, the utilization numbers. But yet, if you think we can bridge that gap and the salespeople who have the relationships with these clients, or maybe it's not the salespeople who need that data, maybe it's the account managers who need that data. So figuring out right. um, and, and giving people, you know, back to what we were talking about a, a few minutes ago, starting with some basics and starting with some clear use yes. cases, some clear value that you provide, people are going to start to think of ideas. And they're like, oh, if we could get that information, we could act on it. It's not currently a part of our workflow because we don't have the ability to do it, but it's a new workflow that could add value to the organization. And it's worth um, you know, building a new a new report, getting getting new data in some way, um, and then implementing a workflow around it. So sometimes you're you're kind of supporting an existing workflow, and sometimes you're enabling a new workflow. Almost. Yep. Yeah. That that's a hundred percent correct. I mean, first first and foremost, you mentioned uh, kind of that iterative process. That's super critical. Um, you know, and, and I think you know this is and this is again where we at DOS forty two we really help our customers. What we had our customers say is. You, know, you help us understand the art of what's possible. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of folks just don't know what's possible with data and analytics, right? And that's and that's where we come in. Um, but as you said, right, you really want to start with a few real critical, high value use cases, uh, and really get everyone super excited about this. Like you said, you know, people will start coming up with ideas that that you know you as a data team or as a technology team you never would have been able to think through before. Um, so I think what that really sort of then comes back to is designing a data architecture and a data platform. You know, when I say that, I mean broadly, not just the technology side, but also the processes to be able to capture those ideas, uh, to be mm -hmm. able to implement them really, really quickly uh, and, and maintain that momentum. Because, you know, what would kill momentum if you had, you know, a bunch of folks coming up with ideas that were great ideas and it took you six months or a year to implement them. Everyone's going to forget about it and move on to the next thing. Right. So it's about how quickly can you keep that momentum up and keep the velocity up. Um, and that's really where you start to see those data projects really start to take off is build a great foundation, get people excited, and then you're off to the races and you'll, you'll be really amazed at what you can do, but it's all about starting small first and getting that excitement. Definitely. And I think that speaks to what you were talking about at the very beginning when you were introducing yourself of marrying the business perspective with the data perspective, because it, 
the data team is never going to be able to think about the request that like Sally and marketing is going to have. It's just, totally. it's, it's so <laughs> unlikely. They're not sitting in her chair, seeing, you know, dealing with the same problems that she's dealing with. So if it's really clear to Sally and marketing that we can do some pretty cool things with data and we've, we've invested in uh, a, you know, a system, we've, we've got a lot of insights behind the scenes. You see that, that we can do this. You're going to come up with new ideas that you want to see and whether it can be implemented exactly as Sally requests or whether she's going to give some ideas and then they're going to say, okay, this is slightly variation of it that we can do. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's amazing. The ideas that you're going to come up with that aren't going to be the kind of standard out of the box. And this is where you're kind of getting that customization to your specific organization. Um, and it's going to bubble up from the people who actually need the information as opposed to just kind of coming top down from leadership. Yeah, so I think that tees it up nicely, kind of actually what the uh, the meaning of DOS 42 uh, is. And, and the 42 uh, is from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's the answer to the life, you know, life, the meaning of the universe and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but really what, what you know, if, if for the folks who are familiar with that reference, I mean, really what it's about is asking the right question. Uh, and so that's really what we help our clients do at DOS 42 is, is help uh, Sally and marketing um, kind of take take their uh, ideas, their thoughts, their, their domain knowledge about what they're trying to achieve and really help shape that into, uh, you know, an actual sort of data point, an insight, a report, um, you know, and, and help her actually execute on that. Um, and so that's that's really what we try to help do at DOS 42. And that's, I think, critical to, to making these data projects successful is, is starting, again, first with the business. Definitely. All right. Um, kind of last question that I wanted to ask you. I'm sure you're keeping your your finger on the pulse of all of the trends that are coming. <laughs> you know, you're not getting caught up in the latest buzzword, but I, I know you need to stay on top of everything. So, what are you seeing as more businesses um, are, are working at better leveraging data, um, and what do you see as kind of the the upcoming trends? Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly you hear a lot about uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, but you know, I, I'm I'm here to say that you know most people are not doing that. I mean, you know, I kind of joke with folks that really what we do at DOS 42 is help get people off of spreadsheets and on the kind of modern cloud-based, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, data platforms. So, but I do think that that's something that's going to be increasingly impactful. Um, I think a lot of it actually is going to be done with uh, with software uh, as a service, kind of machine learning as a service, and that kind of mm-hmm. thing for very specific use cases. Um, but, you know, I, I mentioned it a little bit before, kind of the, the, the sort of in-between stage um, is folks taking uh, data and analytics, and once they kind of get the foundation set, um, you know, creating data-driven applications. Uh, so again, kind of taking, you know, workflows that exist, augmenting them with data and analytics, in some cases, for example, creating like customized applications that allow people a really curated experience. You know, if you go into a business intelligence tool in most companies, it's like, there's a lot of content in there. There's lots of stuff that's going to confuse people. So making very curated um, uh, workflow specific uh, data applications for whether it's the sales team or the marketing team, customer service team, et cetera, and sharing that data oftentimes with partners, customers, other vendors, like that's that's another uh, big trend is kind of this data sharing idea. So there are a few things, uh, hopefully that, uh, you know, uh, gets folks, uh, you know, juices flowing and kind of start start thinking about what else they can do with their data. Definitely. But I love, um, you know, where, where you said getting people off spreadsheets and at least on the cloud. <laughs> I, I think a lot of organizations are hearing about machine learning and AI and they're like, oh, my goodness, how do we get from where we are? It's like going from A to yeah. Z and really understanding, no, you can go from A to B and then from B to C and, and <laughs> keep going along that path. And 
it's, you know, back to some, some key principles, I think that we've been talking about consistently through this conversation, start small, get it to work, get people excited. And that's going to give you potential. If you go, if you try to go from a spreadsheet to AI, I I think you're going to be struggling just a little bit. hundred percent, hundred percent. So, you know, I, I'm hope, hopefully that's reassuring to folks because, you know, as you're saying, you, you know, you don't, you don't need to make this gigantic leap. You can start small, start with the basics, uh, orders, customers, you know, whatever it is that's really key and important to your business and getting folks excited. And I think then you'll be well on your way to success. Definitely. And just that understanding that your cus- your competitors are likely not like going crazy with machine learning and AI yeah, either. Absolutely. So you don't yep. have, to, I mean, don't, you know, completely ignore it, but you don't have to worry so much that everybody in the world is, is moving ahead and you're stuck behind. Yep. That's right. All right. Um, a question I always like to ask our guests is, are there any resources that you would recommend to our listeners? It can be specifically related to what we're talking about today, or if there's something else that, that you'd love to share, I'm sure they'd love to hear it. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly you could check out our blog at DOS42.com. We have a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, blog posts that go a lot more into depth around data governance or, you know, data centralization and things like that. I mean, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today, um, you know, are things that, you know, again, I feel really strongly about and passionate about just given my career in data analytics. So I'm always happy to share our thoughts and uh, listeners can always reach out to me just nick at DOS42.com and check our website out. All right. Perfect. Um, It has been so great to speak with you today, Nick. I really appreciate your time and your perspective. I know this is a topic a lot of people are are really unclear about and, and worry a lot. And I think you just made things so clear and so understandable. So thank you for that. Awesome. My pleasure. Thanks, Elizabeth, for having me. It's been great. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into the show today. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 329. As a reminder, we would love it if you would subscribe to the show. That way you get every new episode as soon as it goes up. You can subscribe for free wherever it is that you're listening right now. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend this to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover the show. And we would love any feedback you have, whether you leave it in um, a place like Apple Podcasts, or if you want to email us, if you've got feedback, if you've got questions, suggested guests, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!